Hey, Traders Point family, I'm so glad that you could tune in with us today, wherever you may happen to be. Today, we're having an online-only worship experience, which I know that's a little bit unusual. Uh, due to an excess of care and concern for people all over our city, and as well as to do our part in just helping to slow the potential spread of the coronavirus, we've decided to do an online-only worship experience. You know, I know this isn't ideal, but I'm so thankful that we have this technology so that we can gather together in homes all over our city and lift up our voices to the God who sits on his throne. You know, even though we're having an online worship experience, we are still on mission together. And over the course of the next few weeks and and maybe even months, we're, we're not quite sure what's around the corner for us. But what we do know is that we want to continue to be the church, to shine a bright light. And so we're going to be on mission together as a church. We're going to identify the unique needs and opportunities that are in our city. We're going to step up and we're going to serve and love others in Jesus' name. And so I want to encourage you to continue to worship through your generosity. Because when you're generous, it enables us to serve as many people as possible. Well, I'm going to pray. And when I finish praying, our worship team is is going to lead us in a few songs of worship. And I want you just right where you are to lift up your voices and maybe raise up your hands and cry out to the God who is in control when things seem a bit out of control. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now and we just want to lift up our voices to you. We want to give our hearts and our minds to you. We've had a crazy week and things seem out of our control. And yet in the midst of these moments, we want to lean into you through worship. We want to declare that you are the God who knows the future. You are the God who is in control right now. And so, Father, I pray that you would hear our voices as we sing. And I pray that you would speak a fresh word of courage and challenge and conviction into each one of our lives. And may we never forget that we are the church. And in moments like this, we step up and we let the light that is shining within us shine the brightest for the world to see. We ask this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, just like Aaron said, no matter where you're at right now, man, we want to invite you. We're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to worship him together. So come on, let's go. Down. 
today. We've had a crazy week. All kinds of events that are really unprecedented. We've never experienced this before. 
And maybe in the midst of those moments, you have some fears, worries, and concerns that are just closing in on your mind. There's all kinds of ways in which we can choose to deal with those worries and concerns. But the best way God tells us is to worship our way through them. Today, I want to run back a message that I preached about six months ago here on the subject of worship called WOW. And I can't think of a better message to go back and listen to again to see what fresh word and insights God might have for us today on this powerful subject. Because right at the very end, we talk about the fact that we can work or worry our way through trial and difficulty, or we can worship our way through it. And I want to remind you of that today. So I want to encourage you right now just to, to lean in and to ask God to minister to your heart and soul right now through this message. And so the first word that I want to look at with you today is just simply this word right here. It's the word wow. Right, everybody say wow. It's one of my favorite words. And it's a word that we use whenever we're not quite fully sure what to say. Meaning like uh, you're, you're, you're experiencing something or you're seeing something that is so amazing and so beautiful and so moving that oftentimes what just sort of spills out of you is, wow. And there are several moments in my life that uh, are wow kind of moments. Like immediately what comes to my mind is, is my wedding day. And when I saw my wife walk down the aisle in that dress and she was so beautiful and just under my breath, I was just like, and whenever I was in the delivery room, when all four of my kids were born, my wife was there too, but well, when, <laughs> when all four of them were born and they came into the world, I was just like, I looked at this like, like gooey, ugly little thing. And I was like, wow, the first time I ever went to the Grand Canyon, I stood there, I was like, this isn't real. Wow. I want to show you a couple of pictures. Uh, this is a picture of me and my daughter. She's 15 now, but she was 11 then. And she went with me to Cape Town, South Africa a few years ago. And we took the little uh, cable car up to the top of Table Mountain. And if you don't know what that is, it's a mountain in South Africa that's just flat on top. And we just hiked around for like two hours. And then I snapped this little picture with Cape Town in the background. And it was just this moment being on the other side of the world with my oldest daughter. And I was just like, wow. A couple of months ago, my wife and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary by going to Italy on the Amalfi Coast. It was kind of like a bucket, li uh, bucket uh, list kind of a trip for us. And I snapped this picture of my wife from our hotel um, the first night we were there. And I was just like, wow. And the coastline looked pretty amazing too. <laughs> mm, guys, I hope you were taking notes because that's how it's done. And then the infinity pool that they had at this hotel, my wife took this picture of me and I was like walking along the edge of this infinity pool. Now what you can't see is right out of the frame of this picture is a sign that is strictly prohibiting what your pastor is doing. <laughs> but I live on the edge, all right? Literally, literally live on the edge. These are all these moments. And I bet you as I just show you a few examples from my life, you're probably thinking of a few from yours. You're like, yeah, man, th that trip that we took or that experience that we had, it was just this wow kind of a moment. Now, have you ever noticed that when we're experiencing something, if wow isn't the thing that comes out of our mouths, that in general, as a human race, one of the things that is likely to come out is, oh my God. And there's a reason for that. It's because whether you realize it or not, there is something deep within your soul that desires to connect what you're seeing and experiencing with your creator. 
And so what I want to do in our time together today is I want to talk about the importance of aiming the wow that is already in your heart towards the only one who is really worthy of it. And to do that, I want to take you to a passage of scripture in Revelation 4. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn there with Revelation 4. I hope you brought one. If you didn't bring one today, please bring one with you next week. The passage will be on the monitor beside me. But I want you to know your way around the Bible. So Revelation chapter 4. Let me, let me kind of set the table for the passage that we're going to read. Um, uh, this guy named John uh, gets sent away. Uh, the actual word is exiled to an island called Patmos. And he's there all by himself. And Jesus comes to visit John. And Jesus wants to reveal some things to John. That's where we get the name Revelation. And what Jesus does in Revelation 4, he's just got done addressing the seven churches. And now he invites John, here's the term, to enter in to the throne room of God. And John is furiously writing down everything that he sees and hears and experiences so that you and I might know what that experience was like. And John is struggling to find the right words. It's why Revelation sounds so uh, far out when we read it. It's because John is stretching human language to its limits. His favorite word is like. He's like, it's like this. It's like that. What's it like, John? I don't really know. Like, it's just like this. And he's trying to describe it all to us. And what he's doing in Revelation 4 is he is describing this amazing wow moment. It's actually a worship service. And listen as John writes, starting off in verse 1. It says, Then as I looked, I saw a a door standing uh, open. Now, this is important because in the previous Chapter, chapter 3, Jesus has just finished reprimanding the church in Laodicea for being lukewarm. He says, I I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. I wish you were all in or all out. None of this uh, fence straddling stuff. You're lukewarm. Whenever you uh, heat something up in the microwave that's supposed to be eaten hot and it's lukewarm, it doesn't taste very good. And Jesus says, I just want to spit you out of my mouth. However, I stand at the door and knock. That's how he finishes verse chapter 3. And now John walks through that door and he is describing to us what he sees. And he says that same voice is the voice of Jesus that I had heard before spoke to me like, there's that word, a trumpet blast. So he's saying Jesus' voice is like a trumpet. Now he doesn't literally mean that. Jesus' voice isn't literally like a trumpet. He says, no, Jesus' voice is loud and it's clear and it's distinct like a trumpet. And then in verse two, he says, and instantly I was in the spirit Uh, Pastor Ryan talked to us last week about what that means. It means that if you're in the spirit, that means he's leading you and he's guiding you and he's encouraging you. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. Now, the imagery of a throne is largely lost on us as a culture today because look around, we're all sitting in one. Now, we don't call it that, but that's really what it is. Like when you walk into a room, like almost immediately, you're like, where's my seat? It's like a place of security and identity for us, right? It's like, I need some real estate to park my backside in. And this is mine. This is my throne. But in the first century world, uh, only four people had a throne to sit in. Kings who ruled a nation, judges who rendered a verdict, warriors who conquered an enemy, and a priest who mediated between God and men. And Jesus is all of those things. And he's the one sitting on this throne. And it says in verse 3, the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. That means that Jesus was illuminating light. 
In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then all around him are these gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Now, what John is just describing, I need you to use your, your minds here and picture this, as he's just described Jesus sitting in a throne, lights illuminating out, all these gemstones around him. What happens when light illuminates through gemstones? It, it refracts, it, it redirects, it illuminates, it magnifies. Think a uh, disco ball. That's essentially sort of what's happening. And John is saying, in the throne room of God is all this light and all of this color. And color and light is really, really important to all of us. Chances are you went into your closet this morning and you picked out some clothes and the color mattered to you. You wanted it to match. Uh, most of you, uh, anyway. All right. Um, the color of car you drive matters to you. The color you paint your walls, it matters to you. Color is more than just uh, an aesthetic. It, it serves a purpose. This is the reason why deer hunters don't hunt from hot pink deer stands. Because color serves a purpose. And it sets the tone, and it creates an environment, and it speaks to us. This is the reason why in uh, all of our rooms across all of our campuses, when we worship, we worship with color and light, not white walls and fluorescent lights, because we worship God and not an orthodontist. So going on in verse 4, it says, 24 thrones surrounded him. And 24 elders sat on them, and they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. So get the image in your mind. This is like the box suite. And Jesus is in the middle, and there's 24 seats of special honor around him. Who are these 24 elders? I don't know that it's hugely important. Here's my opinion on this, based on something Jesus said in Matthew 19, is that the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. And these guys are gathered around Jesus on the throne. They've got crowns. And it says in verse 5, from the, from the throne came flashes of lightning and a rumble of thunder. Any of you ever been uh, directly underneath lightning and thunder? Man, it'll scare you half to death. It is so powerful. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, out on the lake in southwest Missouri with a friend of mine, and this uh, thunderstorm just rolled in right over us so quickly, we didn't have time to get out, off the water, and this lightning and thunder just boomed right over us. And I might have peed my pants a little bit. It was like so loud, it just shook me to the core. And I want you to know that that's what John is describing in the throne room of God. And then he says in verse 5, And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. And I don't have a ton of time to explain this, but I want you to know what sevenfold spirit of God means is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is multifaceted and it's tailor-made. What that means is, is that when you enter in, which is what we're doing, by the way, when you gather together with other people in the throne room of God, that the Holy Spirit can discern what's going on with you better than you can know what's going on with you. And he knows that some of you came in here today with your faith tank on empty. And some of you came in today really discouraged. And some of you came in today actually feeling pretty good. And the Holy Spirit says, good, I want to challenge you. I want to bring some conviction into your life. It is multifaceted. And it is tailor-made. That's what that means. And in verse 6, it says, In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. To get the image in your mind, there's the throne, there's the light, there's the disco ball, there's the 24 seats. Then there's this sea of glass. Now, very rarely is the ocean ever still. I mean, think about that for a minute. Now, you, now lakes are. 
You ever been to the lake real early in the morning and it's just like smooth and uh, it's just so serene? Well, he says the sea is that way. And this is huge because really what John is trying to say to us is three primary things. When you enter into the throne room of God to worship, the sea is calm like glass. And it simply means this. Number one, God is in control. God is in control. Even something is out of control is the sea. And so in the first century world, this, I mean, even today, like the ocean is intimidating. It was way more intimidating then because they didn't have radar. They didn't have all the technology that we have. If your loved ones took off on a voyage across the sea, you're like, there are chan- the chances are high. I'll never see them again. And if the ocean swallows them up, we'll never know it. But here in the, he's saying that God has actually calmed the sea and he's actually calming the storms that are in your life as well. The second thing that this symbolizes is that God is approachable. The sea in the first century world was that primary thing that separated people and nations. And he says, no, I've actually calmed it all and it's translucent. You have a clear pathway to the throne, whoever you are. And uh, he says, you just, you just come as you are. This is why the author of Hebrews would say, we can approach the throne of God with confidence. And then here's the third thing that we don't often make the connection to it. God is all about the acoustics, baby. He is, because what does calm water do? Calm water, uh, it magnifies sound. It's, it bounces off of it. And we see this all throughout the Psalms, actually. I want to show you one example of this. In Psalm chapter 150, David writes this, starting in verse 1. He says, praise the Lord. That's, our, that's the word for worship. Then on down in verse 3, he says, praise him with a, a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Now here's the question I have. How do you do anything in that list quietly? How do you blow the ram's horn quietly? How do you clash the cymbals quietly? You you can't. And actually, this is connected in our hearts. Like whenever you're uh, in the car and a song comes on the radio that you just really love, like it just speaks to your heart. What do you do? Do you reach over and turn it down or turn it up? You turn it up because you want to hear it more clearly. Now, let me finish out the passage. Verses 10 and 11 of Revelation 4. The 24 elders fall down. And here's the word. Worship. The one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, that's Jesus. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Now this is such a powerful image, because you've got these guys sitting in the box seat with Jesus, and they could have eluded themselves into thinking that they were pretty important because of that, but instead they take off their crowns. And they lay them at Jesus' feet. And what they're doing is they're directing the attention towards him. They're directing the honor and the affection towards Jesus, the one who was worthy of the worship because this worship was not about them. Wow. What John has just described here to us is what it looks like for us to enter in. And he says, here's what I saw. And here's what I felt. And here's what we did. And the question that I have is, is what John just described normative for what we experience? And if I'm being really honest, from my experience, from my church experience, going all the way back to all the way to the day, I'd say more times than not, the answer to that tragically would be no. That doesn't look anything like that. 
See, here's what I, I've learned, both from my life and just from observation, is that most of the time, and I'm, t- I'm speaking to those of us who are Christ followers, who, who come to church on a regular basis, is that most of the time, our opinion or our perspective on worship is mostly formed by the tradition or the culture that we grew up in, or what we're used to, or what we like and don't like, rather than what God's Word actually says about it. Now... It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that your tradition, culture, opinions, and perspectives are wrong or bad. In fact, they may be right and good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they come from God's word. We, we just, some of you are like me. Some of you grew up in a church, like the church I grew up in looked nothing like this. The church I grew up in was very, very small, very, very traditional. We sat in things called pews, and we had a piano and an organ and hymnals, and the worship director stood up front and did this. And I have no idea what this means, but he did it all the time. And others of you, maybe you grew up in a more liturgical setting. There was like recited readings and prayers. Maybe some of you, you grew up in a very charismatic expression. Uh, Maybe others of you, you have no church background at all. All this is new to you. And one of the things I absolutely love about our church is that uh, we have people that come from all different backgrounds. Now, one of the challenges to that is I can't automatically assume that you know what I mean when I talk about worship or what it is that we're trying to accomplish when we worship. And so as a result, there's a certain percentage of the room at all of our campuses that is missing this wow moment. So let me break it down for you. Here's the definition of worship. All right, it's actually not even a religious thing. Worship is to love. It's to show admiration or affection. That's what it means. It is a response to something that you value the most. Uh, It reveals what you already adore. And I want you to know that you were made to do this. You were made to worship. Now, some of you right now are going, not me. I don't sing. I don't like to sing. I don't like the singing. It's why you come 20 minutes late and leave. You bail right after I finish up, right? You, you think I don't see you. I see you, all right? And, uh, and uh, you're just like, I don't, I'm not into it. I don't like the singing part. I didn't say anything about singing. I said, you were made to love. You were made to express admiration. You were made to express affection. Some of you are like, no, 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 Aaron, uh, you don't understand. I'm not religious. I don't even believe in God. In fact, um, the only reason why I'm here is because she's here. And I'm into her, and she's amazing. And uh, uh, that's great. I didn't say anything about being religious. I said, you were made to love and to show admiration and affection. You were made to worship. You are uh, already worshiping. You are always worshiping. And in fact, you're pretty good at it too. You you go to a, a rock concert, something that has nothing to do with God. Let's just say Justin Timberlake's in town. All right? And you go and you see people has nothing to do with God. And they're raising their hands and they're clapping and they're singing along and they're shouting and they're laughing. What are they doing? Well, we, we don't connect it to worship because you're not in a church and we would never say, well, I'm worshiping Justin Timberlake. No, what you're doing is you're showing some love. You're showing some admiration. You're showing some affection to this musician that is so talented. Uh, uh, you go to another house of worship in town, Lucas Oil Stadium, all right? And uh, you see people that uh, Sunday morning, they stand here like this with the groomsman pose. You know the one, the groomsman pose. And it's like, I don't know about all that hand clapping, all that hand raising. 
Right? That's how they say it, That's, at least in my mind. And, uh, but then that afternoon, they go down to the stadium. The same people, hands raised in the air, high-fiving, cheering, screaming, losing their minds because somebody ran a ball into an end zone. All right, now listen. We just have to be careful because we don't want to save our most authentic love, admiration, and affection for something that's not worthy of it. See, our, your, your uh, money and your time and your passion and your energy just naturally flows to the thing that you love. It just naturally goes there. The question isn't whether you will worship. You're already worshiping. In fact, if there's only one thing that you take away from you from this message, our time together today, it would be that, that you're a worshiper. And it has nothing to do with singing, and it has nothing to do with what you believe about God. That you're already expressing love, you're already expressing admiration, you're already expressing affection. What I want you to do is say, is in what I'm worshiping, is it worth it? Is it the thing that's sustaining me? Is it the thing that's giving me hope? Because many of you worshipped a boyfriend, he let you down. Many of you worshipped your wife, she, she broke your heart. Many of you, you worshipped a job, you lost it. And it's just been one heartbreak after another because all of your affection, you just pushed all the chips onto something that couldn't sustain the weight of it. And everyone in your life right now, like you don't need, I don't even have to train you to do this. You just automatically worship the thing that you love. You're like, oh man, like you've got to go to this restaurant, the table side guac will change your life. Man, have you seen this show on Netflix? It's absolutely, you got to stick around to the final episode. It should totally turn your world upside down. And have you seen pictures of my grandkids? Yes, we, we actually have. Now, well, let me show you again, all right? Because all the grandparents know that grandkids are God's gift to you for not killing your kids, all right? Can I hear it all the, the grandparents in the room, right? How do you know if somebody does CrossFit? They'll tell you, all right? Just, just give us some time. And I can use that joke because I do CrossFit. See, I just told you. All right, so, and so here's the thing. is like we just authentically just naturally flows towards it. So, so, so this is where things get a little bit uncomfortable. All right, now that we've established you already worship, is how, like how should we worship? What should that look like? You know, should it be hymns? Should it be contemporary songs? Should it be piano and organ, drums and guitar? Should it be hand raising and clapping? Should we do the groomsman pose? Like, what should we do? And there are just as many opinions about this as there are people in the room. And I want you to know that the only opinion that matters on this is God's. I think contrary to popular opinion, I think a lot of you think that well, we just sing the songs that I love. Like, oh, probably all the songs that we sing are probably on Aaron's Spotify list. No. Like, when you get introduced to a new song... I get introduced to a new song. And so whose opinion on this matters? Let's look at what God has to say about it. Uh, Did you know that there are seven words in the Hebrew language for worship? My my favorite one actually is this one. It's found in Psalm chapter 34, verse 1. David actually uses it. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His tehillah will always be on my lips. And some of you just perked up. You're like, what? I'll worship like that. I said tehillah. It's very different, all right? So that's my favorite. Here's the most common. The most common is halal. And if that sounds familiar to you, this is where we get our word for hallelujah. And here's what it means. It means to shine. Once again, we go back. John chapter 8, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is sitting on the throne. He's shining out this light. It means to make a show. One of the most common criticisms that we get is, I don't like your worship. It seems like a rock show. 
Yeah. <laughs> to boast, to be clamorously foolish, to rave or to celebrate. This is exciting. This is passionate. This is heartfelt. And we have managed, I'm talking about church history here, we have managed to make the word hallelujah so vanilla and boring. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When do we get out of here? It means to celebrate. It means to express passion. And, and God says, this is the way I want you to, to worship me. This is the most common description that we get. We actually see examples of it. Psalm chapter 47, verses 1 through 2. It says, come. That's an invitation. Everyone. That means everyone. Not just the certain personality types in the room. Not just the extroverts. Not just the partiers. But everyone. God says, I want you to come. And I want you to clap your hands. And I want you to shout to God with a joyful praise. For the Lord Most High is awesome. That's why he says that. So... So when you go to the rock show or the, or the sporting event, when people shout and clap their hands, why are they doing it? Because they're going, man, that play was awesome. That song was awesome. I'm going to clap my hands. When we come in here, when we clap and shout, we're going, God, my life may not be awesome. You're awesome. And so when people clap their, their hands, I've heard this criticism of our church before. You guys are that happy, clappy church, aren't you? <laughs> we're not being weird. We're being obedient. And we're not trying to copy the world. The world is actually worshiping. They just don't know it. Okay, so we go to the the next example of this. Psalm 63, verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. God actually asks us to do this. You're like, well, it seems kind of weird. Yeah, it is. Do it anyway. Like, well, it seems I I I don't want to draw attention to myself. You're not. You're drawing attention to him. See, here's the thing, is that um, I, know, I, know, I know you well enough to know right now some of you are arguing with me in your mind, which is the best kind of argument because you always win. But here's what you're saying. You're saying, Aaron, I hear you, but I don't worship that way. That's not me. Like, that I would be pretending to be someone I'm not. I don't want to do that. And I, in my heart, Aaron, I'm doing all those things that you say. I just don't outwardly show it. I want you to know I hear you. Can, can I just say, can I just challenge you lovingly with this? Can I just ask you a few things? Number one, uh, just when you do come in here, make sure that you're entering in and that you are being authentic and you're not being bored or distracted. Meaning, you're not on your phone, you're not just holding your coffee, you're not just standing there in the groomsman pose just looking around, but you're entering in as if you're in the presence of God because, because you are. Can I say this? Can you just take a step? Can you just take a step outside? I'm not asking you to go from here all the way over to here. I'm just saying take a step. What I mean by that is go from the groomsman pose to just carrying wood. All right, just, just groomsman pose to carrying wood. And then you can progress to the one hand in the pocket, one hand in the air. See, see, this says, I'm here to praise Jesus. This says, nothing to see here. All right, that's just what it, what it says. I'm having so much fun right now.
And if the way you worship is to be stoic, make sure you're consistent. Meaning you better not invite me to go to a Colts game and I see you losing your mind. Or going to see a concert and you're singing out at the top of your lungs. I'm going to go, what in the world is going on here? So, so, uh, so let me give you this. Uh, let's see if I can illustrate it this way. If I were to come home at the end of a long day, which I often do. Okay, you, that went over your head. And if, I, uh, and, and if I walk into the kitchen, as I often do, and my family's sitting around the kitchen island, as they always do, because that's just kind of our favorite place to kind of hang out. And if I walk in, all right, like the revelation of Aaron Brockett. I'm here, right? And, and, and none of them acknowledge me. Like they all just stay buried in their phones or they're doing something over here or they're watching TV and none of them turn around. None of them say hello. None of them give me a hug. None of them smile. You know, expect a little kiss from the wife. None of that. Nothing, nothing happens. And I walk in and I'm like, hey guys, like it'd be like good to see you too. And if they were to turn to me and say, daddy, like we're greeting you just in our hearts. We're greeting you the way we want to greet you. And I would say, that's fantastic. Could you show me? And that's exactly what God is asking of us. So, worship is a decision that you make. It's not a feeling that you have. And some of you are waiting to get the feeling, and it'll never come. You don't worship because you feel like it. You worship in order to feel like it. Just read through the Psalms. David, the psalmist, what he's doing is he is not activating a heart to worship. He is aiming a heart that's already worshiping. Let me say that again because I don't want you to miss it. He's not activating. He's not trying to push you into worship. He's saying, you're already doing it. Just aim it. Just aim it in the right direction. And it really has nothing to do with how you feel. Some of you came in here today. Today you came in here and you said, I'm not feeling it. It's cloudy outside. It's raining. It's Labor Day weekend. We don't have any plans. You're the runner-up. This is, this, was the set. this is what we decided to do because we didn't have any plans. I'm not happy about it, and I don't like that song, and uh, it's so repetitive. This is how I fight my battles. 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 And you're right, but you must not like eating either. That's pretty, pretty repetitive too. This is how I chew my food. This is how I chew my food, right? It's repetitive because it's replenishing. It's repetitive because it restores you. You get good at stuff you do over and over again. So worry is when you look at all your problems and you worship. You go, wow, what am I going to do? Envy is when you look at what other people have in relation to what you have, and you go, wow. Anxiety is when you look at everything that is threatening your peace, and you go, wow. And worship is when you look at God, and you go, wow. So some of you might be like, all right, I cry uncle, I get it. Why? Let me give you three reasons, and then I'll be done. Here's the first reason right here. If you're taking notes, jot this down. God asks for it. I've actually softened that quite a bit because he didn't ask for it. He commands it. And I know some of you bristle at that. You don't like anybody to command you to do anything, even God. Uh, I I love how uh, the old Bible teacher J. Vernon McGee said it, only the way he could say it. He goes, this is God's universe, and he does things his way. Now, you may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. And, uh, And I love that. 
And I know that not all of you are there yet. Uh, I happen to be there. Uh, but just because God commanded me, I'm like, I'm in. Like if God told me, Aaron, dress up like a rodeo clown and jump up and down on one foot and flap your wings to worship me. I'd be like, all right, sweet. How often do you want me to do it? God commands it. Now, some of you, what you don't like about that, I had a good friend say this to me a few years ago. They said, I don't understand why a loving, gracious God would command us to worship him. That seems so selfish. I don't command my kids to worship me. And I would simply say, yeah, you're right, because you can't sustain your kids the way God can sustain you. God God knows, listen, God knows that you're already worshiping. And so when he commands you to worship him, it's the most loving thing he could say. He's saying, stop putting your hope in things that can't give you hope. Direct it towards me and let me be your hope. Here's the second thing. Those around you need it. And we, I can't say this enough, especially in the Western church in America, because we uh, uh, come to church almost exclusively thinking, what can I get out of it? And if I don't like what I get out of it, I'm bouncing. And I want you to know that it's not about you. It is about the people that are around you. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see an example of this. It says, instead, be filled with the Spirit when you enter in, speaking to who? Say it with me out loud. One another. With psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. That doesn't mean this is a big musical. Thank goodness. What this means is is that other people need your worship. That somebody walked in here today with their faith tank on empty and they need to borrow some of yours. Somebody walked in here today just so discouraged and they they need some encouragement. Somebody walked in here today wondering if any of this was real and they need to see a real expression of a real person worshiping a real God. Worship is not about you. You want to know the very first person that made worship about him? It was Satan. His name was Lucifer. He was one of the angels in heaven, one of the three, and he was in charge of worship and music, and he got kicked out of heaven. Why? He made worship about him. So don't make worship about you. And I got to tell you, man, there are so many Sundays when I come here and I don't feel like preaching. And I think one of the maybe greatest misconceptions you could have about me because I do this so often, as you think, I just probably roll out of bed every day with a sermon on my lips, you know? And uh, my kids just come to me and say, Father, would you open the word of God for us? And, and uh, they, they do like this whole British accent thing. It's, a, it's weird. And, um, or like on date night, you know, my wife's just like sharing some stuff with me. Hey, what do you need from me? Do you need a hug? Do you need that? No, no, I really, I just need three points that all begin with the same letter. It's like, no, I mean, it's like, no, that, that, that doesn't happen. And there are so many, sun, I mean, I'm just a human being. Like I, I've had like maybe a rough week or a rough meeting or, or I'm, I'm not feeling well or maybe I just feel distant from God. And I'm like really wrestling as I pull into the parking lot and I'm like, there's roughly 10,000 people that expect me to say something good and there's a few other thousand people that are watching uh, online and it's gonna exist on the interweb for like ever and uh, it's a lot of pressure. And I come in here going, man, this is gonna be uh, really bad. And there are so many, I've lost count, so many times when I'm sitting right down here and it's the worship of God's people that fills me up and gets me ready to preach. Here's the last thing I'll give you is listen, you need it. You need it because life is hard. 
and it's challenging, and you don't worship because you feel like it. You worship in order to feel like it. And forgetfulness is the greatest enemy of faith. It's when we forget what God has done that we stop believing what God will do. And if you're not moved to worship, that just simply means that you have amnesia. You've forgotten. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who God is. You've forgotten what he did for you through Jesus. And they gave you a hope and a future and your eternity is secure. And you refuse to forget it, even if you don't feel like it. And you come here today and you're like, I... I'm in the midst of the storm and I'm going to worship my way through it and I'm going to worship my way out of it. And if you're here and you're wondering, why are all these people singing? Why are they clapping? Why are they raising their hands? What you may not know about that guy who's singing really loud and off key, by the way, is that he used to be in prison and God got a hold of him and now he's set free and he's turned his life around. He refuses to forget it. What you may not know about that lady that keeps her hands up during the entire song set is she's not showboating, but she used to actually be in an abusive relationship and Jesus set her free from that. She refuses to forget it. What you may not know about that guy who keeps clapping in the middle of the sermon and just kind of disrupting you is that last year he walked in here finding out that his wife was walking out on him and today they walked in together holding hands. Uh, He refuses to forget it. And at some point, every single one of us came into the presence of God, messy, jacked up sinners who've now been forgiven in Jesus Christ, and we've got a hope and a future, and we refuse to forget it. Listen, man, when our worship, when our worship gets stale, our mission goes stagnant. You want a church that accomplishes great things for God? It's always a worshiping church. Be real. Be authentic, just as authentic as you are at the concert or the sporting event. Now here's the thing, more than anything, here's why you and I need to master a heart that looks to God and says, wow. It's because of this. There is nothing in this life that will carry you through every season you are facing than worship will. And so we worship not because everything's great. I think oftentimes we think, well, when, my, when God answers the prayer, then I'll worship. When things are going really, when I finally get the job, praises. But have you noticed in the Bible that some of the people that had life fall apart, they were the ones that worshiped the loudest? And so you've got a guy like Job who had everything taken from him. And Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, uh, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it says this, though the fig tree does not bud, in other words, the deal fell through, And there are no grapes on the vines. We can't get pregnant. Though the olive crop fails, the 401k is down. And the fields produce no food. I can't find a job. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Our kids are just rebelling against everything that we taught them. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Listen, it's not just, your, your worship won't just change. Your life will change when you worship God, not just for what you see, but for who He is. Not just for what He'll do for you, but what He's already done. And Habakkuk says something really strange at the end of that passage. I don't know if you caught it. He said, it'll give you feet like a deer. I don't know about you. I'm like, 
thank you. Uh, why would I want feet like a deer? Have you ever seen those like nature shows where maybe it's a, a deer or uh, maybe a mountain goat and they, they're scaling this incredibly steep mountain because they've got these strong, stable legs. That's what Habakkuk is getting at. He's saying, when you enter in and you come to God just as you are and you lay it all out there, God says, in the worship of my people, I'll strengthen you. I'll strengthen you from whatever season that you're in so that you can scale the heights. Listen, if you, if you meet somebody that's a spiritual giant, if you meet somebody, you're like, wow, they are, they, they, they are who I want to be in the future. I guarantee you it's somebody who's actually gone through a, an incredible amount of trials. And God has strengthened their life. Like the worst thing that God could do for you is every time you cry out because it's getting too steep, and God says, okay, I'll pluck you off the, off the cliff. Then you don't build the muscles that you need. God says, let me sustain you in that. And right now, if you're not in it right, right now, you will be one day. You're going to find yourself in a difficult season, and you're going to be tempted to work your way through it. That's how some of you deal with it. Let me just bear down. Let me just clench my teeth. I'm just going to work my way through this difficult season, bury the emotions so deep nobody will ever find them. And God says, would you just worship your way through this? Some of you, you just want to worry your way through these difficult seasons. And God says, hey, no, 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 just give me the worry, and why don't you worship? Why don't you just worship your way through this season and let God sustain you because he is the one worthy of the wow that's already in your heart. Who knew that a message preached from this stage six months ago would be so relevant to what we needed to hear today? I want to encourage you as we go out into the week ahead, having really no idea what may be in store for us, to continue to worship our way through it. We're going to be the church during these uncertain times. I want to encourage you to pray for one another, serve one another, encourage each other. Let's lift up our medical professionals, our government officials, and everyone else who's serving on the front lines to keep us safe. For all of the updates and ways for you to make a difference, just go to our homepage on our website. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you right now and I thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather. This is a bit unusual. It's certainly unprecedented that we would be having a worship service online and yet th these are unusual times. But you are the same God yesterday, today and forever. You haven't changed. You continue to rule. You are still on your throne and we trust you and our hope is in you. And so God, I pray that you would give us the peace and the strength that we need to go and make a difference in this world because now is the time for the light of the church to shine the brightest. And so we give ourselves to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.